This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday and that means it's time for our crack strategy panel. Lots of breaking news today. This morning, the Ontario government announced an independent commission into the situation in long-term care. We will speak to some of the stakeholders later in the show, but of course, we will touch on the politics of it here. In Ottawa, the Prime Minister expanded eligibility for the emergency business account. It will now include small businesses who hire contractors as well as those who pay themselves through dividends. The government has also extended the U.S.-Canada border closure for another 30 days. Meanwhile, stage one of reopening the economy started this morning. Some stores are opening, but boy, they're going to look different. They're all kinds of new restrictions. Uh, has anyone gone shopping or are you planning a little uh, recreational retail? The number is to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Now let's bring in John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor and CEO of Variety Villages, as well as Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto. Hi, everyone. Hi, Libby. Hi, Libby. Uh, Libby. Is anyone going shopping today? Oh, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so excited. I'm going to Indigo. You're going to Indigo. Okay. <laughs> I am. <laughs> are you, are you going to, uh, that was a place famous for browsing. You could browse there for hours at a time. Are you going to browse or do you know what you want to pick up? Well, I do know what I want to pick up, but I'm just so looking forward to walking into the bookstore because it was one of my uh, secret pleasures, just being able to see. Um, I have some favorite authors and I've been looking on to see, looking online to see who's released new books that I, I don't want to order online because the experience for me of going into a bookstore is one that I just, just really love. So I've called my local bookstore at Young and Eglinton because they're street facing. I know they're opening today at 11. I have plans for this there. afternoon. <laughs> and, and are you going to be wearing masks, gloves? What? Uh, you know, I don't, I, I didn't get a sense that that was um, in speaking with them mandatory. And so if it's mandatory, I will, but if it's not, then, then I won't. Okay. Okay, somebody with a lot of confidence. Uh, you guys going shopping? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm speaking for myself. I'm not planning on doing any shopping. I've I've been able to, you know, obviously everything I've been able to do for the last little while online or, or even some of the curbside pickup stuff is is working relatively well. But you know what interests me more, quite frankly, is golfing. I uh, I was so wanted to get out and golf this past weekend, but I just couldn't. But I was driving by. Uh, and uh, I saw a golf course that was open, and, and I saw people golfing, and it just reminded me, if there was ever really a scene of, of sort of getting back to normal, Libby, there it was, you know, people were um, golfing, and I did happen to notice that it was one person per cart, uh, and, uh, and and that were driving along the fairway, but at the end where there was a green, uh, the, the foursome that I saw had masks on, which was, I thought was really good, so um, I, thought, I thought that was really interesting. 
Okay. Uh, I, I've got to say that I was a little slow on the uptick to get in on the first day of tennis, but uh, uh, my husband and I have a court on Thursday after nice. work. Nice. Oh, I'm jealous. My court hasn't put up the nuts yet because they are waiting on the city permit to be revised. Okay. Well, you know what? Um, as soon as we can have guests, Karen. Uh, awesome. I will awesome. be there. You'll be there. <laughs> Charles? Golf well, shopping? I, no, I, I remain curled up in the fetal position under my bed. Um, <laughs> I, no, I actually, we um, we had our kids. Uh, we rented some ice at seven a.m. this morning. Oh, really? Arena, and uh, so uh, my son was in full hockey gear, and my daughter was doing her figure skating routines, and uh, a great time was had by all. I guess that means you had to get dressed. Sadly, sadly. <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 considering going into a store where I I can pick up some new pajamas because mine are worn out, and I don't even wear them all day. <laughs> anyway, uh, so the the reopening of the economy is it? What's your take on it? And are people going to warm to you know? I mean, I can't even imagine going to a clothing store with all the distancing and the change rooms and what happens to anything you try on. I it just seems kind of weird to me. I, I think you know what? Maybe I think that people are going to approach this like they've approached the, 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 the sort of the pandemic. Um, certainly, the early stages, everybody was was quite concerned and, and obviously rightly so and and staying at home and I think that you know given the fact that we've seen a little bit of loosening up um, from province to province in Ontario I think the premier again continues to do a good job in being safe about how he opens up everything I think that you know people are going to go out to these stores like Karen is and others and and really just want to be able to experience sort of you know what the new normal is going to be uh, but certainly just getting out of the house and, and being able to go into a store and buy something actually there uh, will give a huge psychological boost to, to people's morale. Um, and I think there'll be others who will just, you know, will just continue to stay inside and be safe and, and, and wait, wait till, wait till things, uh, like health, the, the health authorities and, and premiers and, and politicians open up things a bit more. Um, but I'm also hearing, you know, positive signs about vaccines that are being tested now on, on, on folks and, I'm um, not sure that that we'll see anything live coming out, you know, by the end of the year. But certainly, that's that's the uh, the optimistic view is that we might might be able to see something by year end. Well, eight people. That is uh, what what would very optimistically be called a small study. And uh, I've said this before, but my concern with vaccines is that. If, if it's not a vaccine that's, that's being developed or trialed here, then we're pretty well down the list for getting it because even once it's tested and approved, they've got to make millions, if not billions of doses. Silence. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, in as much as, um, you know, there's, there's a number of things that are, will come into play when we think about reopening. One is the government giving um, their red light to, or the green light rather, to open the other, the psychology of the public, which is another important factor. And, uh, you know, even the Starbucks down the street from me, um, was empty this morning. And that they don't, they've changed it such that you can't come into the store, that they serve you. You line up and you get your, your order and then you leave. But there was two staff in the Starbucks that were looking extremely bored when I walked past with my dog. And that's a site I've never actually seen at the Starbucks. 
Okay, well, um, there you go. Everything is changing, and it's mm-hmm. going to take a while to to get used to it. Uh, the Prime Minister extended, I mean, he, this is one of the things that I've seen, and, and I don't know if it's being flexible or what, is that every time, <clears throat> excuse me, the government announces some kind of aid for someone, then somebody else puts up their hand and says, what about me? And today they expanded the emergency business account. There were complaints by small businesses, either the ones that hire independent uh, contractors rather than employees, or the ones that pay themselves through dividends as opposed to salary, and they are now included in emergency aid. John, is that a good thing? I think it is. Uh, you know, uh, I think what what we're seeing, quite quite frankly, Libby, is is you know those that are that are slipping through the cracks and and um, you know small businesses and others. And I think the, the government, by and large, has done a really good job federally and, and also provincially in trying to capture all of those that that are affected by by the pandemic in, in some way, shape, or form. And and we're also seeing you know extensions of programs. We saw the the wage subsidy program now being extended to the end of summer uh, because folks know that that you know June was coming up and and uh, and, and th- that wasn't going to sort of solve the, the problem, knowing that things were going to get back to normal at least until after then so so i'm not surprised and, and, I, and i'm quite frankly you know pleased that that the prime minister did this because there are a lot of small businesses and hair salons and others that that you know might not have fit into one program or another but are seeing this as something that they might be able to tap into and help them over the next little bit Charles Bird, I, I mean, one of the things that struck me about that and when there were complaints that these types of businesses weren't included, I mean, these were businesses that the government was going to go after and uh, backed off. I mean, they, that they were basically called tax cheats. Uh, and I, there was a big hue and cry, especially from doctors who are also small businesses. Uh, so these were types of businesses that hired contractors and uh, that paid themselves through dividends, which uh, is is more tax effective, shall we say, than the other way. Yeah, I would I would just say that the government has been the federal government has been fairly consistent in terms of the announcement of various programs, uh, which is that, you know, it's very, very difficult to design a program in the space of a few days and not expect there to be at least some gaps. And when the government has identified those gaps, it's moved fairly quickly to fill them. So I think that's a good thing. I hear you on the sort of questions of, of dividends. And, and the government did make some substantial changes to uh, tax rates when it comes to uh, how people are are paid through uh, private companies and numbered companies and such. Uh, but in this case, it was clear that there was, there was a need um, and that there were a, a significant number of people who were not sufficiently covered, and the government's moved to correct that. I would just, I would just also note that the government has extended the Canadian emergency wage subsidy through to the end of the summer. The message from the prime minister is that employers need to be hiring back their employees now in anticipation of the various measures that are being enacted provincially to slowly reopen the economy. But that will vary directly with the uh, amount of demand there is on the part of consumers. I mean, as many have noted, you can open up the whole shebang in one go, and if people don't have the confidence to to go out in public and, and to shop, then obviously it's going to be a slow process. Karen, when can your facility reopen, or do you have sense of that? 
I don't have any idea, to be candid. Uh, we have we run multiple programs out of our facility. We run programs for kids. We run a fitness center for the community. We run a day program for adults with intellectual disabilities. And we run a rehab program for seniors that are recovering from strokes. And uh, in, the, in the fall, we run an outreach program for kids uh, for, um, for the TDSB. And they come here on a field trip. So we already know that there's lots of things we won't be able to offer because kids won't have field trips next year. I can, you know, and, but until the government gives us a sense that we can offer a camp program, we may not be able to reopen our fitness center, but can we offer camps? And so, you know, again, having the emergency wage benefit is helpful to a degree, but I can't bring people on staff and have them not do anything if I can't open to the public. And so we're in the situation where we're waiting and it, you know, the emergency wage benefit is only so helpful in that if I don't have a job for someone at the end of this, I, I don't know how much sense it makes to keep them on the wage subsidy. Well, exactly. Yeah, that's, that, that is, uh, you know, the $64,000 question. And uh, it's, will, will you actually have a job for people at the end of this? And, of course, those questions persist in some of the hardest-hit sectors. You know, I'm talking about restaurant sectors. Yesterday I saw a... Uh, piece out of Italy and and in cafes, they were putting up plexiglass in the middle of a table. So a table for two, a plexiglass. Oh my. And and the people were texting each other. And I was thinking, well, well, you know, maybe all those people that I used to criticize for texting each other around a restaurant table, maybe they were onto something. <laughs> I can't imagine that happening in Italy. Can you imagine that? <laughs> well, it was it was in Italy, and they had the plexiglass, and apparently it was so because they didn't have enough room to separate tables by six feet each. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's all um, it's uh, interesting is is one way of putting it. Uh, so. The government has also extended the closure of the U.S.-Canada border for another 30 days. And there was a poll by John Wright uh, that said that, you know, an overwhelming number of Canadians want that, uh, I guess, because uh, we see what's going on with the, uh, I would say, fairly chaotic reopening in the United States. John? Yeah, I, I actually agree with with that. I, I agree with the fact that it should it should remain it should remain closed the border. I think people we're just not there yet. I think the inconsistencies with respect to to the provinces and how they're reopening uh, their respective economies and and how far they're about to go on on this I think is also indicative of the fact that we're not we're not we're just not there yet. Notwithstanding what's happening in the U.S. and what we're seeing, you know, with respect to, to President Trump and. And, and the various governors and how they're reacting and, and, and whatnot. I think, Libby, that we're not there yet. I think the prime minister probably sees that, that the provinces aren't uh, are at various scales of, of opening. And, and, and obviously some provinces that have direct uh, link to, uh, to the U.S. Uh, by way of border um, and, uh, you know, just are not, not sure that they want to be able to allow that to come in. Uh, I think the fact that the U.S. still hasn't, you know, come to terms with, with their curve and flattening and some some states are some states are you can't have a piecemeal um opening because obviously if, if you have one opening uh in one province you're just going to get a flood of people coming over anyway so i think there's got to be a consistency with respect to how the government deals with 
border opening, um, and I just don't think we're ready for that yet. Charles, you know, uh, some people are saying that, you know, we, we are seeing a staged reopening. It's different in different provinces, but, you know, there are some Ontario mayors, for instance, saying it, it should not even be uniform across the province because, you know, uh, the mayor of Kingston says, hey, we don't have cases, or they, they had a couple of cases, and the situation is very different from what we're seeing here in Toronto. Yeah, I, I I agree with that to an extent, and I noticed that the uh, the Minister of Education has announced uh, a small pilot project uh, for in class learning on the part of students this summer. That oh, that focus, must have just happened. It did, and it will focus on um, obviously areas that that haven't been um, impacted. I guess the concern is that for all the talk of uh, reopening, which is you know obviously essential. Uh, we still had over a thousand newly confirmed cases this weekend in Ontario, and there's still a lot about this virus that we don't understand. And it's, um, you know, it is very, it's going to be very easy to get this wrong if we reopen too quickly or if people let their guard down or if folks are left with the false impression that the worst of this is behind us, because it's not. I mean, the reality is that this virus has shown a degree of transmissibility and potency, especially when it when it comes to elderly people, that is that it has devastated a great many lives. We've lost over 2,000 Ontarians to COVID-19 so far. And so the reality is that if we don't get this right, then we could end up doing our economy a great deal of harm. Um, So I think the approach we're taking now is the right approach. It's staged, it's gradual, it's mindful of the numbers, but we are far from out of the woods. Well, it's interesting that, uh, I'm not sure if it was yesterday or the day before, the Chief Medical Officer of Health was disappointed that in terms of the current spread, it's half and half community and long-term care, and he had expected it to drop in the community more than that. I mean, Karen, does that surprise you? No, it doesn't, because the testing has gone up so significantly. And so we're just testing we're testing more people. And, um, you know, it's... To take my dad's facility as an example, his retirement home, um, they took the, uh, everyone's now being tested whether there is indicators or not of someone having the disease. Finally. And, <laughs> yeah, finally, exactly. And they found three cases in my dad's uh, retirement home. Asymptomatic cases? All asymptomatic. Oh, well, good for them. Yeah, one was a yeah. dishwasher and two were residents. And so it, it speaks to the fact that it is in the community and uh, people have it and they could be transmitting it, they don't know it. And so I think, again, it, it does speak to the need to be more broadly testing people who don't show symptoms, because as long as that is occurring, we won't be able to trace the trajectory of the disease. And so, you know, we are and we're all also at some point going to have to live with the fact that there will be emerging cases. And how are we going to manage that? And you know, our emergency rooms have not been overwhelmed. We haven't had um, the situation. We've lost. It's been a tragic loss of life. There's no question. I'm not debating that. But, you know, in terms of the indicators that we put forward to ourselves as a province of how we were going to manage reopening, we're managing it. And even if we have new cases, um, they're not in the emergency room. They're not overwhelming the healthcare system. So I think we need to be, um, as we're moving forward, we don't, we have to figure out how to, you know, again, have these conversations about reopening that hinge on um, indicators that are uh, helpful measures of, 
for the community. Okay, I'm going to give the numbers out again. We do have a few minutes left in this segment. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. I'm on with our crack strategy panel. We've been talking about the reopening of the economy and all the things around that. And uh, I'd like to just move on because the government announced an independent commission into long-term care This morning, the opposition's been calling for an independent inquiry, uh, and uh, the the in-question period, opposition leader Andrea Horvath made uh, a lot about the fact that this is not an inquiry and it's not good enough. Uh, Charles, what what do you think of that response to it? Well, um, it was probably appropriate for the government to do something, but essentially what has been announced is... Uh, an independent commission without any terms of reference, any notion of membership, any sense of who's going to lead the commission, who it will report to, or what the reporting timelines will be. I mean, a government-controlled commission is very different from a public inquiry. And one of the things the government will have to do is, A, acknowledge that it has full control over what this thing will look like, and B, that it will still be able to produce a report doesn't just say, a la Donald Trump, oh, everything was perfect and we couldn't have done more, because people just won't buy that. Well, There's- let, let, here's, let me ask a question, because I am not clear about the difference, and I am going to be delving into this in our next segment. Uh, but, uh, you know, one of the criticisms was that the government appoints the person running the commission. Well, they appoint the person running an inquiry, too. Am I wrong? They do, but the in, in the case of an inquiry, um, a specific mandate is put forward that essentially empowers the inquiry with near judicial powers in terms of the gathering of evidence. I see zero indication that this is the case here. Well, they, and generally, yeah. when you do like when you look at the the Mueller inquiry, for instance, or or Gomery going back some years, I mean, generally, it's incumbent upon the government to appoint someone who is an expert and who has a clear mandate to be completely impartial. And so that, that'll be the test for the government, whether they're able to, to sort of meet that expectation. Well, John, it, was it just a case that there was so much pressure for an inquiry that they announced something before they had their ducks in a row in terms of all those things? Well, I think uh, partly, I would say partly yes, Libby, to that. I think that the key thing is that they actually did announce it and, and publicly announced it as an independent commission into long-term care, which I think is step one. Step two, I think, and in, in, as Charles alludes to, sort of the test of, of how it's going to look like and what its mandate is going to be, um, it's certainly not an inquiry. I think an inquiry would take longer. I think this could be something that the government would want, a, sort of a quicker review or a quicker response. And I think that this independent commission, unlike others in the past uh, that other governments have had, uh, and most independent commissions are usually as a result of of public pressure or or public opinion sort of towards it. But this one, obviously, given the unfortunate situation with respect to the pandemic and the the drastic and, and dramatic effect it's had on on, on long-term care and the facilities, I think uh, it needed to be needed to be um, set up and, quite frankly, started. But 
uh, you know, the premier has been mentioning that he wanted to do this. He wanted to do it at a time when he felt it was not going to take away from from the health and 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 the work that's been going on. Because you don't want to do it in the middle of the pandemic when everything is still a bit uh, a bit harried and and, uh, and uncertain. Uh, I think the fact that now that there's some sense of recovery and some sense of of, of you know, you know, calmness with respect to the, to the cases, notwithstanding that we did see an uptick in, in that over the weekend. But I do think it's something that the, the, the premier wanted to do. I think it's the right time for it. I think him announcing it is, is smart. I think the next step would be obviously to to fill in some of the gaps with respect to who's leading it, what the mandate is, and and when he wants it to sort of report back to uh, to him. Uh, Karen, I mean, one of the things he said is that they're going commission because time is of the essence. And and one of the things that a number of stakeholders have been saying, uh, I'm not a stakeholder, but I agree. It's like, you know what? We know what a lot of the problems are. Uh, Let's get at fixing it. Uh, you know, there there are some longer term issues that I agree have to be studied carefully. But but I mean, you know, we know what the problems are. Absolutely. And in terms of a response, I think it was the right one, because to your point, it will hasten the, the process and it will bring forward the recommendations that we already know need to be implemented, plus allow for a, a process to bring forward other things that maybe we haven't considered but need to be changed. And so I I think, you know, the opposition, as we've talked about, has found it difficult to find its voice in the midst of this pandemic. And, you know, I just think that um, as opposition leader, I think Andrea Horvath, you know, she has a role to play in, uh, you know, helping to craft who's on the inquiry or the commission or the um, body that's going to be looking at this. There's no question. I think that she should have input into some of that. But I think it's the right approach because, to your point, there's a lot we already know that we need to fix, so we just need to get to fixing it, and we need a way to to manage that process. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's interesting because, uh, you know, again, we we know what the problems are. And uh, even the last inquiry, the Galice inquiry, which was much more limited, well, it made 91 recommendations. Yeah. And uh, how many of them have been implemented? Implemented, yeah. Yeah, so that's, I mean, I guess that's the key. None of these things are binding. And, you know, to Charles's point, and uh, we're going to have to wrap it up, uh, you know, the the announcement itself says the system is broken. So it's hard to imagine that they w- the result w- would be a report saying everything's perfect. Charles? No. No, I can't imagine that they, they would have that kind of audacity or chutzpah to, to actually try to go down that road. Um, at the same time, you know, the, the government released this morning made reference to um, how uh, there needs to be uh, an immediate and quick response to uh, this. And uh, I think the wording was we have to act quickly and decisively and then uh, just in a different paragraph, it says this work won't begin until September. Um, so a little bit of mixed messaging in that regard. But I, I would just add that there are, there are sort of twin pillars of things that have gone terribly wrong in Ontario. First is obviously the long-term care system. The other is testing. Yep, where absolutely. Where we, we continue to see enormous backlogs in Ontario's laboratories. Uh, the number of tests that were processed on Monday um, have well, rather over recent days, has plummeted. 
um, less than 10,000 protests on Sunday, just over, just less than 6,000 protests. It's, it's a long weekend, bud. It is, but I mean, this, <laughs> is, this, is, this is the most urgent work yeah. going, right? I mean, the, the, the virus does not respect Victoria Day or the, the May 2-4 weekend. And this is the kind of work that they, the government desperately needs to get right, because testing goes hand in hand with our ability to reopen the economy. And it just seems that it's been a, a constant thorn in the government. Side, its inability to get testing right. Yeah, agree. Okay, I've got to wrap things up as always. Thank you so much, Karen Stintz, John Capobianco, and Charles Bird. Thanks, Libby. Thanks, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.